Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello and welcome to Off The Beat and Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. This is the first episode I've recorded in 2023. We talk about it uh, when we get the uh, the show rolling, but I've not recorded one for probably nearly a month, so I'm a little nervous, but um, it went all right. It went all right. It was a little bit jittery at the beginning, uh, but thankfully my guest uh, was wonderful and very, very easy to talk to. My guest is Reese Lewis, um, a wonderful singer-songwriter and uh, and a wonderful guest who's got impeccable taste in music, as you're, uh, as you're about to find out. And uh, I can't wait for you to give this one a spin. Um, so as much as there's been episodes out already this year, as I said, this is the first time I've recorded uh, in 2023 so I just want to say um, thanks for all your support into another year we're going into 2023 or we're probably maybe a month into 23 already so I just want to say thanks thanks ever so much for supporting the podcast um, you have been absolutely wonderful and, and I can't wait to to push through this year uh, with some some more wonderful chats I'm so lucky to get to have them chats and, and it's really nice that that you lot listen and uh, and enjoy them as well. Um, the ways that you can uh, get access to more stuff and support the podcast, if you'd like, uh, in the show notes to this, if you just click on the show notes, there'll be a link there where you can buy me a coffee. If you want to go and get us a coffee, that's nice. Um, or you can become a Patreon. The Patreon is something that uh, is really good. It's a dollar a month. So uh, about 70-odd P a month. And uh, and you get to come to the live shows. The online live shows we do once a month are so lovely. And uh, they little hang out with um, a lovely little group of people. Um, and, and they you know, we, we talk about music and we talk about some of the questions on the podcast and everybody brings their selections along and we have a little chat and, and we record it as well. And it's, it's wonderful. We'll put one out uh, for, for, for everybody that isn't a patron so they can hear what what we do on there because it is it's a really lovely little kind of get together um and we do that and i put up all the videos to all the episodes over there so if you're a fan of watching podcasts you can watch them all over uh, on the patreon and i put loads of little mixtapes up and playlists and and stuff always put up sort of you know two or three things each week and uh and you yeah you, it's not a bad little a bad little thing for uh, a dollar a month so yeah if you can spare i know i know it's crazy crazy times at the moment um but if you have got a dollar spare a month and you want to get some some lovely content for your ears and eyes, then uh, yeah, patreon.com forward slash off the beat and track. Uh, a few thank yous. Thanks to Screw Pip, uh, me homie, me bud, and uh, and the podfather, obviously. Um, he's, he's consistently blowing my mind away with the content he puts out. And uh, yeah, there'll be a, I, I recorded the podcast series last year with Pip and uh 
it was just a, a six-part series and we're going to be doing uh, another one this year so um, go check that out if you haven't already um, and I want to thank the team at Blue Murder Club Blue Murder Club's an amazing true crime podcast and uh, and it's the team over there that uh, put together um, the production on this podcast so thanks to uh, to the team over there um, go check out their podcast I've been lucky to be asked on there to be a guest as well talking about some some uh, some mad true crime uh, in the area that I grew up with and uh, and you'll see all manner of other wonderful guests on that show um, that have also some of them have been on uh, off the beaten track as well so um, go give them some support because they're a, a great little podcast um, right I think I think we can get on with it um, if you enjoy this podcast, um, if it's your first time listening, I should also say that you've missed out on about 470 episodes, then uh, go check out the back catalogue when you get to the end of uh, Reese's chat because, yeah, there's some crackers. You know, all your favourite singers, actors, musicians, DJs, producers, uh, from the Foo Fighters to Motley Crue to Sway to Idols to Sleaford Mods. Uh, we talk about um, Franz Ferdinand and Block Party uh, on this podcast. There's no spoilers in me saying that, by the way. Um, I've, I've been really lucky to um, to have Russ from Block Party and Alex from Franz Ferdinand on. Um, and yeah, there's there's a real who's who of uh, of artists that I've been absolutely blessed to have had some natters with over the last few years. And they're all available for free wherever you get your podcasts. So give us a, a like, love, a share, a retweet. Um, you know, when you when you see us on the socials or if you, you know, you're on your iTunes or your Spotify, just give us a little follow or a like or a subscribe because it really does help to grow the podcast. And uh, yeah, anyway, I'm waffling now, so let's get on with it. Please enjoy Off the Beat and Track podcast with Reese Lewis. It's Off the Beat and Track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whipping. Oh, very well, thanks. How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. I'll tell you what, this is um, it's the first time I've been nervous in ages. I've not recorded one this year. I think I recorded so many in December. I'm like, I'm kind of well ahead of myself. So I feel a bit out of practice. I normally do about five <laughs> a week and I've not done any for ages. So, uh, so yeah, be, be gentle with me today, mate. Oh, no, I was going to say the same for me. I've not done an interview in a long time. So, uh, yeah, I think we're both in the same boat. Wonderful. <laughs> Wonderful. I love that. Um, well, look before we uh, b- before we get on with, with with anything. Um, did you have a nice kind of festive break? How was it for you? Yeah, it was really good. Oh, by the way, sorry. Am I supposed to be recording my audio this end? No, no. Yeah, you're no, all good. No. Oh, great, perfect. Sorry. Um, I I had a great festive uh, break, but I was a bit ill. I feel like everyone was ill over the holidays. Yeah. Um, and I, I I've only just really gotten better. So luckily, just in time for tour, but. Christmas Eve and Christmas Day was pretty miserable because my family basically said to me, we've got, um, my brother's got a baby, a new baby. And so they were like, I think you should just stay in your own little weird cave and uh, get better on your own for the next few days. So I was basically just on my own for Christmas Eve. Christmas banished. Day and so I was banished, basically. The baby uh, banished me. So, uh, but no, it was really nice to just be around everyone again. It's like yeah. part of the year where you just actually get some time to see everyone. So really nice. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, look, let's start your playlist. And uh, we always start with track one, which is the song with the greatest ever intro. Great, great question. I've actually really enjoyed going through all the questions you ask because they're just 
good to go down memory lane with some songs that you learn. I've gone for it. It was hard because there's a lot of songs like that came to mind. Blue um, New Order Blue Monday was one that I thought I could go for that because it's yeah. such a great intro. Um, and then I started thinking about one of my favorite bands, Led Zeppelin, and they've got some good intros as well. Uh, immigrant song I thought could be good, and then I just ended up going for Good Times, Bad Times. The first, probably the first ever song I heard of Led Zeppelin, and I think it's the opening track of that album that I, that I fell in love with. And it's just got this amazing sort of like kind of thing. And then John Bonham enters this, this song with a film, and it's just so good. It's iconic to me. Absolutely. I'm always yeah. intrigued when people uh, either go one or two ways. I either go for that instant kind of pop hook, like a Help by the Beatles or, or something just instant or they go for something more kind of expansive and 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 lean towards things like floyd and zeppelin and hendrix and things like that it's always kind of kind of a a, it's one or the other and i'm I'm intrigued to ask you this as 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 a songwriter yeah um when you're approaching writing a, a, a a new track and there's so many things to consider now in the way that people consume their music and also is i should say do bear with me i've put my new laptop on today because my old laptop was making my my screen go funny, and this is my my new laptop, and my screen's just gone funny on here. How's uh, it? So uh, yeah, if you see me just kind of looking a little bit pixelated and a bit strange, just <laughs> just bear with me. It's clearly that that software and not. I'm glad I've bought a new computer for no reason whatsoever. But uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but um, no improvements. But uh, so bear with that. Um, so in regards to the way that people consume their music now, it's it's way different to. Uh, to how I consumed mine when I was growing up and there's so many things that, that, that labels lean towards now with you know getting exposure on things like TikTok and things like that which is very fast paced and fast moving and that that kind of you're you know you're, you're, you're aiming at a market that I've got you know what I'm generalizing but, but shorter attention spans um, and you know for instance if you was to take a a Zeppelin track to a label now, they'd probably be like whoa yeah, you can't release this as a single you know yeah, and, yeah. and so whether that's right or wrong, that's uh, you know that that that's that's to be discussed. But when you approach songwriting, mm. are modern trends such as TikTok and you know them kind of edits to get on Spotify playlists, do they all feature in your creative process in some way, shape, or form? I personally know. I mean, I I probably be it'd be stupid of me to say that in the back of my mind somewhere the sort of cultural norms of that that are happening. Uh, don't influence in some way, but not not sort of intentionally, yeah. right? But sort of sit down with the idea of those things and go, oh, okay, I want to try and factor that in from, to my songwriting. I, I think naturally, like I write generally, I write pop music, so I think yeah. um, I'm influenced by the kind of um, the, the the sort of conventions that come with that. Um, but yeah, I find it really interesting how even just going through the songs that I love the intros of and what eras they came from. It almost felt like we musicians had more time to like open a song up. And yeah. uh, there's a few songs actually on the list where um, that we'll go through that I actually go, they've got an amazing intro as well. And, and I wonder if the art of the intro is being lost because of the fact that we're trying to get to the point as quickly as we are now and get into the song. And I do think that that comes from, you know, and, and it was the same thing back in the early days of radio where songs got shorter and, and people wanted to, you know, change the format of a song to make sure that people's attention spans were stuck stuck around. So I think there's always been that kind of force at play with, you know, the element of commercial, um, what what works commercially and what, what, what artists are trying to do as, as well. So yeah. 
I, I think it's sometimes a really healthy thing that things like that kind of push music to do something different. And uh, that's why, you know, we end up with three minute 38 pop songs and yeah. people seem to, seem to love that form. And it's just something that people really enjoy. But then it's like, it's a balance of like, when does it go too far? And, and I think we're trying to find our feet really with TikTok because we all know that it's an amazing creative uh, platform when it's done well. Yeah. And we all know that it can shape amazing music because of the fact that people are looking for some creative and new original content. Yeah. Um, but I also think that it comes with a danger when we're still trying to figure it out as to like how far you let music and art go yeah. in that direction for the sake of commerce and money. And, yeah. and I, it's always that balance because it is a music industry and we're all sort of aware that it comes with a price. Yeah, of course. Literally and, and metaphorically, like what do we give up in trying to be more popular yeah and uh, i think back in the day we probably had less um feedback in immediate feedback yeah which meant we didn't we couldn't factor in what the public thought until it was already out whereas now you get an immediate response from a demo or a, an acoustic version mm. or a 10 second clip and that can be the thing that then pushes you to make your music in a different way or ch change the change the song completely and that can again positives can come from that but i think yeah. we're just finding out where the negatives are and how to deal with them and, uh, for the sake of art and creativity and hopefully long, long lasting music. If, if we're still Absolutely. thinking about that, but yeah, it's a tricky one. It's a new, yeah. it's a new era. It is. And I think, you know, I've, I've asked that question, well, I've done 470 episodes of this podcast now. And, and there's been very few artists that have just gone, not in the slightest, you know, I'm, I'm all art and, you know, and because it is essentially, uh, it's getting that balance, isn't it? You don't want to mm. compromise too much of the song and, you, you know, your art, but ultimately you still want as many people to hear it as possible, don't you? Because totally. aside from the financial reasons, you, you know, you're proud of what you've created and you want you want to throw it out there and, 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 and hit, you know, get what, what people make of it. So I, I do think it's a, a pure a, a pure balancing game and, uh, and there's no right or wrong. I think, you know, there's as much as you could write this epic Led Zeppelin 12-minute piece that goes all over the place, that's n not any harder or any easier than writing a perfect pop song. That's just yeah, as difficult. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That three-minute perfect pop song, you know, that's, that's you know, if everybody could write them, everybody will be, you know, having huge, huge hits constantly. It's not an easy thing to do. So, yeah, I'm always fascinated as to, as to what an artist, uh, how they approach that and, and, and the intro. Yeah, totally. I'm going to take you back, and and for track two, uh, I'm going to ask you to tell me the first song that you remember that you had an emotional impact on. Yeah, so this was a really difficult one because emotional impact. I suppose when you're a kid, I, I guess I think about emotional impact now is different to what it probably would have been back then. But I remember initially falling in love with music for the energy of it coming out of speakers, and artists like Jimi Hendrix when I was picking up the guitar and learning how to play guitar I remember hearing Little Wing and it became a piece of music that I got really obsessed with and I learned and just wanted to know how he made that sound and what he was doing that for me was an emotion looking back it was an emotional impact because I just felt so much when I heard that music and especially just his back catalogue in general yeah. like he played guitar in such a way that no one else could ever sound like him and it was it was just so unique and so getting into electric guitar and kind of learning the blues and then hearing this guy, Jimi Hendrix, play 
bluesy music but with complexity and different kind of harmony and I didn't again have the words to know what all that was that he was doing but I just remember feeling totally blown away and absorbed by uh, what he did as a musician and the kind of the the legend that lived on obviously he was long dead by the time I got to know who, who he was but yeah I think Little Wing in terms of that first musical like moment that I realized I was sort of hooked by it and I found it magical was probably that song and what then was, what again, was the emotion, Grace? I, I guess it's hard to. I was just in awe. I don't know if that's an emotion. I was a bit in awe. I was a bit. It was like being shown a magic trick. You know, when you're a kid, and you're like, and 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 now it's weird because I I remember that feeling for that song, and actually I've gone on to learn more about music and harmony, and even analyze what he's doing like when 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 you first get into playing guitar especially the way i learned it it was like tabs and listening and trying to figure out these weird shapes that made the right sound and then the more you learn or the more, more i learned the more i start to realize what a key was and what harmony was and what chords were and all of that stuff and then you realize he's he might not be thinking of it like this but he's the chords he's playing and have a name and then suddenly you start to go oh it's not as complex as i thought it was but it's still utterly beautiful but that the, the the mystery of what he was doing and how he was creating that sound i was just in awe and it was like as i say it's like listening to a magic trick when i just started to learn a few g chords yeah. or whatever and then suddenly you got this guy with this guitar intro playing such an amazing thing i just wanted to know how it worked yeah. and so it was kind of awe and fascination and and, and then I, I guess another song i guess that's a slightly more a different emotional impact was when i first heard um, Carol King, you've got a friend. Oh, that because it. I know, and it spoke so directly, and it was one of those songs that I remember listening to the lyrics of and just feeling like she was speaking to me. Yeah, and I thought, wow, that's amazing that someone can sing and speak, and yeah. and, and in the same way that Jimi Hendrix, I think, when he plays guitar, he sort of speaks yeah. something lyrical about what he does. So that there were two emotional. I, I'd hope, probably have to choose one. So I'd probably say the earliest moment. Emotionally, would have been Jimi Hendrix and Little Wing, Wonderful. and then yeah, yeah. I, I, I had a I had a friend, and uh, back in the '90s when I was doing bands, we had this guy that was doing some some uh, some bits and pieces for us, and uh, and he was in a, a a band, and he said he was he was in America once in the mid '90s, and uh, and he was just in this bar, and he was just chatting to some guys, and one of them said, look, you know, we're going to go, you know, after the, the bar shots, we're going to go back to to mine and just have some drinks, and I, do you, you just want to come? And they were like, yeah. And he said, like, we just kind of went up this huge drive and just thought, wow, this isn't your average, like, after party in your mate's flat. <laughs> he just walked into this huge house and he was like, where are we? This is surreal. And then just see all of these, like, platinum discs all around the wall. And he was just like, mate, like, what? Do you live here? Is this your house? He went, no, no, it's my mum's house. He was like, who's your mum? And he went, Carol King. And he was just like, holy shit. He said, I'm You're in Carol King's house. <laughs> yeah. That is ridiculous. Yeah, it's remarkable, isn't it? Um, oh, my God. Well, you mentioned that you picked up the electric guitar then. So you're back in them days, like, where, essentially, where was it? Where was growing up? Growing up was in Oxfordshire in the countryside uh, in a very little village. Um, and, yeah, that was my, my first – well, when I was in primary school, I learned clarinet. That was my first ever sort of uh, musical kind of experience. And then uh, I realised quite quickly that I didn't love clarinet, yeah. but I did love music and I liked doing stuff like that. 
And then I just saw there were guitar lessons at school in my primary school. So I did that. It was like group guitar lessons, learning kind of like, um, you know, the simple, the simplest of chords yeah, yeah. and things like that. And then I just got obsessed with it, basically. I, I started doing lessons at secondary school. And I think up until I was about 16, 17, I was just happy to be on stage with a guitar or in my bedroom. I didn't want to sing. I didn't want to write songs. I didn't want to do any of that. I was so shy. And as a performer, the idea of singing on stage was petrifying. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was initially, I just fell in love with playing guitar and blues. And my dad had a guitar, like an old uh, acoustic guitar in the living room. Every now and again, he'd kind of strum a few chords. And I think that was what gave me the idea when I saw uh, guitar lessons at school. I thought, oh, my dad's got a guitar. I've heard him play. I'd like to, I'd like to learn how to do that. But you, you mentioned so, like Hendrix and, and, you know, Zeppelin and Carol King, you know, these are all artists that, that, you know, peaked way before, you know, you know, he was even born. So you said there was a guitar <coughs> laying around. Was, yeah. was 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 home quite musical? Was you exposed to these records kind of via your parents' record collection? Yeah, I suppose I was because it, I, I wouldn't say my parents have, they've not got a huge record collection and I wouldn't even say they're sort of obsessed with music, but they really do love it. And they'd often be playing. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Stuff on the, on the hi-fi. My mum was a big fan of like Jackson 5 and a lot of Motown stuff. And my dad liked Black Sabbath and The Who, Dad Rock Central. And I guess that was for our fans, you know, Stevie Wonder and all of those artists that kind of came up at that time. And, and it's kind of like the classics, isn't it? And so yeah. I remember those were the songs that I think I immediately latched onto first as a kid because those were the ones that my parents would put on, on the stereo. And so that, that was the kind of music that we listened to. And for that reason, I think I, I don't really remember sort of new music until I got to sort of teenage years and I started to want to know what was going on in the music scene right now but yeah. when I first heard music it was more through my parents and the things they listened to and um, it was even things like when we we were kids I've got two brothers and 
we'd be learning instruments and then they'd say, oh, you should play together. George plays drums, Tom's playing saxophone, why don't you go and learn something? And they'd say, why don't you go and learn that, you know, uh, Stevie Wonder song or that Manfred Mann thing? And, and we'd do that and then go and play at the school concerts. But they were always old songs. Yeah. And so I think that led us to learning and knowing about those kinds of artists first. Yeah. And, and obviously there's such a wealth of music that you can draw upon and you know there's there's never been another Jimi Hendrix so you kind of can't help but get stuck into it really you touched on uh, on performing at school and stuff so let's 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 talk school tell me about the song that reminds you of your time at school please race well yeah so going back to kind of when uh, going to secondary school and first kind of get, you know you get start to have a friendship group and getting into pop culture and the band that was biggest back then for, for, for my sort of friendship group with the Libertines yeah. and their song Don't Look Back in Anger sort of seems to soundtrack a lot of memories from those days when I was like 13, 14. Up the Bracket, I don't think that song's on Up the Bracket, but Up the Bracket was like the first yeah. album I remember being really, really into. And, you know, Pete Doherty for, for all of his sins was, you know, the coolest guy in the world for, to me back then, just this like, kind of, nonchalant poet that could just sort of stroll into interviews and charm everyone and then you know just be rock and roll all over the yeah. place basically so uh yeah and then again le having learned guitar the guitar bands were the natural sort of next step yeah. when you when you started learning about new bands at the time and there were so many it was you know the libertines and remember the cribs and Franz Ferdinand and block party and all these other bands that were kind of like that indie it was such a golden era for british Britpop indie music and I, I feel really lucky that because it hasn't really come back around I'm sure it will at some point now everything goes around in circles but it feels um, like that it does feel like that because I, I think you know if you, you sort of chart the kind of movements in guitar music from you know the the 89 you know with the the, the Manchester scene through to the grunge scene in the early 90s through to Britpop in the mid mid 90s and then you had that kind of wave of sort of acoustic music towards you know the end of the 90s with embrace travis i guess the, the emergence of radiohead and coldplay and bands like that and mm. and then it's kind of went a little quiet until that kind of boom of and I, and I think it was the libs that really thrust it forward you know there were block party and friends all incredible bands uh and and the Cribs are a wonderful band, like um, yeah. But it was the Libertines that that got the front covers and crossed over, and it was like when you, you know, in the nineties when you'd see Blur or Oasis on the front page of a tabloid. All of a sudden, for whatever reason, Pete Doherty was f tabloid news. He's dating Kate yeah. Moss. He's a you know, he's a superstar. He's not some little sort of. You know, indie kid that you you read about in in just the, the enemy and the melody maker. He's he's front page news, and it was like, and it felt raucous, and you know, it sounded like the Libertines. It was just a it was yeah. it was a sort of strange racket that was the timings felt a little all over the place, and it was ramshackle, but it was exciting, wasn't it? It was very punk. It was so yeah, it really was, and it's funny because I listen having sort of experience making records now and making my music recording a lot more some of the sometimes when i'm listening to my recordings and trying to work out the production i'll be so i'll be so i'll get so obsessed with you know like oh it's not it's not quite right or you know i need to do that bit again a bit messy and then you real and then i realized you know this, the albums i listened to and loved and, and still do all the music i listen to and love, if i was to listen to it with the same analytical brain yeah 
I'd be like, that's a bit wonky. That's not quite right. But you don't notice that. That's not what you're listening to when you listen to music. And I think it's so hard to remember that when you're making it because you yeah. want it to be like, quite, quite perfect. You want it to be the of best course. you can give. But I think what I, 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 it's really good to listen to bands like that because they, they're, they're, they're making an energy and yeah. it's, it's yeah, communicating an energy and it's not, it's not precise architecture. It's yeah. just a feeling. And I think all music needs a bit of that. And the times when I felt like I've not gotten that in my music is when I think the song suffers. And, and that's the music I fell in love with. And, and often because of how it's made, it's often in a room live there is that energy and yeah. I think it's easier to create or it was easier to create back then because people were just playing music and it was yeah. um, a different, different approach. And as you say, sloppy it, to a point, but amazing. Yeah. And they were just, they were feeling it. And, and I, and I love listening to those records because it still hits me exactly the same as it did back then when I was 13 and listening to that album for the first time. But yeah, as you say, he was a superstar. Mm. But what was weird is I remember thinking, this is my little, obviously it wasn't, but when, you, when you're 13, you think, this is my little secret I've got with my mates. And then before you know it, your parents are like, oh, that Pete Doherty on, on um, Jonathan Ross or whatever. And you go, hang on, I, he was my like, indie underground. But he ne they never strayed into, even though they did hit the tabloids, they never be, they never sold out. No, they, no, they were always true to themselves musically. And I think that was why they could coexist in both places, because yeah. even though he was dating Kate Moss and he was on the front page, front page news, the music they were making was still true to them. And I think that can be quite a hard thing to navigate as your success, you know, booms is how do you hold on to yourself and your music yeah. in spite of that fame and popularity and yeah. probably temptation to, to, to do something that caters for this audience that knows you. Absolutely. And, and I think, you know, we talk about um, TikTok and, and, and using, you know, you know, new evolutions in social media or, or, or tech to, to, to sort of further the reach of your music and your art. And I, I remember I'm, I'm friends with Gary from the Libertines and, and he told me that when um, the, the Libs were sort of blowing up with that first record, that they'd go and sound check. And then once they'd sound checked, like normally a lot of them would go and eat and, and just, you know, do what most people do until the show, just chill out. But he said, Pete would go to an internet. At this how long ago it was an internet cafe, and he'd be on all the forums talking to the fans and going like, "This is where we're playing tonight. Then there's going to be an after show at this squat or wherever." And he said no like way. he created the the Libertines kind of that that underground cult following the that, scene, that yeah, blew yeah. the scene. Yeah, and he was so focused on that because. He, trace it back and he was he was writing a fanzine for qpr i believe he was you know he was always been very good at connecting with people in a, in a surreal way obviously and 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 it's so nice to sort of see it go full circle and see the libertines back playing live and 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 all looking yeah. you know pretty clean i hope and and you yeah, know yeah, yeah. And it's all looking it's all looking good but yeah it was really interesting to see that he was always about creating that scene and and that intimacy and that connection with with, with, with the listeners and i think that was really really interesting yeah. you know because you just presume that he'd be strung out in a in a squat and they'd be looking for pete and but no he was actually quite focused on connecting with that that new audience yeah that is amazing and actually it's sort of it's sort of similar to what i think people are achieving online where they're creating that community yeah uh, in a in a probably easy way because you don't have to struggle with internet forums and yeah. all that. You can speak directly to your fans now through social media. But by the sounds of it, he was ahead of the curve in thinking, I want to have as much kind of connection yeah. with those people 
that support my music to, to know that we're together. And I think that's yeah. clearly just a natural gift that he's got because he's, he's just doing it Absolutely. off his own back. So, yeah. Absolutely. Tell me about school. Did you enjoy it? Yeah, I enjoyed school. Yeah, I did. I, I felt like I, um, I didn't, I didn't, you know, you don't really know what you're doing when you're back when you're that age. And yeah. I, felt, I feel like I sort of, um, I didn't really grow up until I left school. Did you know what you wanted to be at school? No, not really. I knew I, I, was, I was always, I was always doing lots of music and I did a bit of sport. So I thought maybe, my, both of my parents are PE teachers. So it was a natural thing to maybe think about maybe going into teaching or sport in some way. Um, but I just was so obsessed with music that it kind of, once I left school, I, um, it just made most sense to me. I was actually also thinking about becoming a chef at one point because I was working in a, in a, in a pub kitchen and, uh, ended up getting way more involved in it. than I realized I would at like 18 and then, uh, but then I was playing open mic nights and things by that point on the weekends when I could, when I got away from uh, the, the job. And I just loved it. And I just started writing songs. And that was when I realized that I actually didn't even realize you could be a songwriter. That was what I actually ended up first wanting to, to do because I read, I think it was called The Song Machine. It was, it was basically heard about this guy, Max Martin. Yeah. I think I read an article somewhere. He's, he's writing all these hits for big bands and big artists. And he's this, you know, silent ghostwriter, really, in terms of like who, who the public hear yeah. about. And, and I thought, oh, that'd be cool. You just write all the songs and then you can just go home and you don't have to do yeah. the other stuff. It's just, you know, it's, and I love the songwriting. Once I kind of got into that, the, the guitar learning and all of that stuff took a back seat and I just started to uh, try and write lyrics and songs. And <clears throat> that was my focus. And then it wasn't until I was about 19 and thinking, what am I going to do? Am I going to go to uni or not? And then, and then the idea of just going to London was this thing. I thought, go to London, it'll things will work out, you know, that's where the industry is. So yeah. go there. And, and I ended up studying music in London, which was, which turned out to be the best thing ever because I wouldn't say my degree necessarily heavily impacted on my musical journey, but definitely yeah. being there. Well, actually, no, as, as in terms of the content of the course might not have been uh, that impactful, but I think turning up every day to an institution is a good way of like learning about how, how you work and the discipline sure. you can, bring to your musicianship and that's a good lesson to learn so i feel like just being present in a place like that around other musicians that are trying to do the same thing was was the reason i was there really um so yeah it was and i i didn't have any plans to be the artist really yeah i just wanted to go and write songs and learn about music so it was funny that when, once i left uni i started to kind of just try and make more music make more songs yeah. and collaborate it was wasn't long before I went through a breakup, wrote a song about it, and then suddenly there were people saying, "Oh, have you ever thought about, you know, doing the singing thing and being an artist?" And I was like, "Oh, maybe," but yeah, it, it, it didn't. It has. It still doesn't sometimes feel very natural to me to be the person uh, like putting themselves out there with their name. Yeah. But um, I do enjoy it, and I'm really glad it happened. But it's funny how it took that journey because I didn't really plan to do that. If that makes sense. I mean. <laughs> Have you when you do them gigs at school? Was you was you a confident young lad? And and to, and to do what you do now, you know, are you, would you say you're confident now as well when you walk on stage now in front of crowds? And because it's it's a an unusual thing to do, and for most people it would be the most terrifying thing ever. Yeah, you know. But tell me about a, a young Reese doing them school gigs and 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 how your confidence was there, and tell me about. 
you know, now that it's a, you know, it's a job. It's like, this is what you do. Like, how is it now walking on stage and, and you know, there being audiences there and, and, you know, this is what you've got to do. This is, your, this is where you've got to shine. Yeah. Well, I, I, I really, I used to get really, really nervous. And I remember being at school, you know, my school concerts. And often it was like, oh, you should, it wasn't, it was more like we'd, we'd learn something and then they'd, that we, if we were practicing it, someone at school would go, oh, you should play that at the school concert. And we'd be like, all right. And then we'd go on stage as three brothers and just play something. And I didn't, to be honest, because I was just playing guitar, I just kept my head down, played the thing, and I didn't think too much about it. And then I remember we we entered, uh, my brother's a few years older than me, and then when his mates went off to uni, he said, do you want to be the guitarist in this band? And I, and I obviously said, yes, coolest thing ever to be in Big Brother's band. And uh, we ended up kind of playing all these really random little gigs and I just again I just felt really safe because it was my big brother and yeah. I was just on stage playing guitar so I don't remember being too scared about being on stage and I got I guess I got sort of um led into it in a nice way as it's like a sort of uh it wasn't like a scary thing by that point but then there was one moment where my brother had gone off to uni because he's a few years older and then I had to sort of make another band with people that were my age and it was quite scary because then I I I had to be, I was never, I didn't actually sing on stage, but I remember having to go, we did like a battle of the bands and uh, I just remember freaking out because I just suddenly looked at my guitar and I couldn't, I couldn't remember where all the notes were and my just, my head just went and I just thought, oh God, I'm not going to get through this and then eventually did. Um, but that was probably the scariest thing I remember of just going on this battle of the bands and having a bit of a freak out moment of, of going, oh sh shit, sort of. Um, I, I literally can't remember what I'm supposed to be playing. And then, yeah, yeah then I, and I was just, and after that, it was more like playing open mic nights to like four people, which is also extremely scary. And I, having, having done that since playing bigger, more sort of professional environments, I still find that scary, if not more scary, yeah. because there's something really, really vulnerable and naked about just yeah. one mic and a guitar uh, in a small, small room. So, yeah, I think I just sort of, took it really slowly in stage and I was just lucky that the experiences I got were just slow and steady. And then yeah. when I went, when I started to go into that space as, a, as an artist, as, instead of playing covers and, and things like that, um, I, I, it took me a long time to feel not anxious and I still, I still do struggle with it. And I, I noticed that I hold tension a lot when I'm on stage. I have to really focus on, because I get a bit tense like this, because I'm like, oh, I hope, I, you know, there's a lot of this internal monologue going on. Oh, are people enjoying it? I hope they're enjoying it. Did I, did I just mess that last bit up? Did I sing the right? You know, you realise my my brain at one point was so busy yeah. with other thoughts. And then sometimes they'd be like, oh, what am I going to have for dinner tonight? You just end up wandering onto other things. You go, no, come on, focus. Yeah. And, and it's only been in the last, I'd say, two years where I've done a bit more, I've done a lot of support tours, actually, where I've gone on stage first and with just a keyboard player and my guitar. And they are really scary because it's not your crowd. You yeah. don't ha you have to win them over. And I think that was a bit of a baptism, ba baptism of fire because in doing that, you have to just basically, you can't have any fear. You've just got to go out there and go, what will be will be, yeah. and I'm just going to enjoy it. And it's, sometimes it's nice that people don't have any expectations of you. The, yeah. the shows that I feel most nervous are when there's people that are there and it's to see me because they bought my ticket to see my yeah. show. And then I want it to be amazing and I expect that, that they know the record more intimately and so they've got an idea of what that note should be and what that lyric yeah. is. And Whereas when I go to a room full of strangers, it's a bit easier. And actually that's helped me come back to the space where people are paying to see me and be a little bit more 
confident and just yeah. sit on stage and go, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm good enough. And even if I make a few bum mistakes, you know, but bum notes, it's okay. Yeah. And so just to let go of that sort of pressure and yeah. expectation and perfectionism, I think now it's uh, nice to get to that point. But yes, it's taken a long time, to be honest. Tell me the first record you remember buying. First record I remember buying, it was, it was either the Led Zeppelin first album uh, or the Jimi Hendrix Greatest Hits compilation, but I think it was the Led Zeppelin one because I remember my mate Rob uh, had a copy <laughs> and I went around to his house and he he showed me this Led Zeppelin CD that I think it's the, the one with the black and white Led yeah. Ze Zeppelin thing on. And uh, we listened to that. And we were like twelve years old and listening to this this this, uh, this album whilst painting Warhammer, and uh, I just remember like I, I need to have this in my life. So I remember going to, going to Oxford and finding a copy of it in HMV yeah. back in the day, and it was uh, it was really magical to, to 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 like own it and to open it and yeah, yeah I, I sort of miss it. I'm sure you do as well. I miss I, I, every now and again I'll buy a vinyl and I'll have that same feeling get to get to read the notes in the sleeve and all yeah. that stuff. But I remember and, it being such a world. And I think that the, one of the other <laughs> things that I, I do miss from that there's so many benefits to to to, to streaming sites and things like that. Um, but it's the album artwork. You you know, you mentioned that Zeppelin on the cover of, of, of the Zeppelin record, you know, like it's so iconic and you know, so you know, Electric Ladyland, they're they're all iconic covers and and you don't really remember I probably couldn't tell you many sleeves of my favourite albums from the last five years. I'd probably really mm. have to think unless I'd bought them on vinyl. Yeah. Um, because I don't buy CDs anymore and, and it seems like it's getting harder and harder to find CDs now. Going to HMV now and the record, you know, it's a record store again, which is it's wonderful. Yeah. Um, but I do think that the artwork is a thing that's lost a little as well, that, you know, being able to yeah. sit there and hold that sleeve and just look at it and devour it and, and like you say, analyse all the sleeve notes and oh, who done that? Have we done that? Who, who created that? Who took that photograph? And it's like... Oh, that that for me that was, you know, I, I'm a total music nerd, and uh, and I know I'm in a safe nerd space because you just dropped Warhammer. So uh, <laughs> <we can> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> can we, can we cut that? Can we cut that? <laughs> well, look, let's talk. Let, let's talk clubbing. Tell me about the song that soundtracked uh, your years clubbing. Now, this was the this was the song or the question that I found hardest because. I didn't really do much clubbing and I didn't know whether it was. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. 
Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Um, I didn't really know what to choose because I, I guess I, I, there wasn't an era in my life where I was going out all the time and there was one song that was kind of... Um, yeah. Uh, you know, defining that. But I do remember in sixth form, which was probably when I was like, you know, just 17, 18. Yeah. One um, of the worst. <laughs> one of the worst. I'll tell you the song. The song is um, Dance With Me by Dizzy Rascal. Yeah. Um, which is actually an amazing song because I listened to it again mm. uh, once someone said, um, selected it. I was like, I'm going to give that a listen. Also, that song Bonkers. Do you remember that one? That you did? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's huge. Brilliant song. I, 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 yeah, I sort of forget how much I actually really like that song. Um, that sort of Dizzy Rascal era, everyone was obsessed with him. Mm. And it, in my school, that song, again, for the for the friendship group, I remember going out to clubs when you could first get into clubs yeah. and that song being kind of like a bit of a moment. And um, I, <laughs> I remember one night where I got into a club I was underaged at 17 and I thought it was the coolest thing ever. And you go to the bar and you get a drink and I just got way too into it. And, uh, I woke up, um, not to that song. I won't, I won't, I won't, uh, spinning yarn, but I remember waking up, uh, and then basically after getting really drunk, I fell asleep in the club. I woke up in the club and I was just sick all over myself. <laughs> and that was my first ever experience of a club. And so I, I think for the, for a long time, clubs were like this place that I just shouldn't be in. Yeah, and I just had had the fear of being stuck on myself again. But that song, that sort of soundtracks those moments because it was just like a really big anthemic kind of dance. It was like a, quite a quirky dance mm. tune as well. It's Calvin Harris as well, isn't it? Yeah, Cap- yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's quite cheeky and yeah, it's, it's great sounding records. So um, I'll go with that one. But I, <laughs> that was the one I struggled to to answer the most. Probably. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Um, you, we we spoke about confidence, and I always like to ask guests, you know, that have of of you know got hold of their confidence, and you know, playing on stage is is something that becomes more and more comfortable. And but then, it, you know, if if you're going to focus on music as a career, then mm. it's one of the most cutthroat and difficult businesses to to find your way through and achieve success. And you know, and you you you've reached success now, and. I want you to tell me about your relationship with, with Drive and like how driven you are. Ooh, great question. I mean, just to touch on confidence, it's um, it's such a difficult uh, industry to hold on to your own confidence in because there are so many setbacks and you know uh, ups and downs with it, and a lot of the a lot of your self worth sometimes can be influenced by the the attitude that other people have to your to your music yeah. so it's, it's if you're you know in this day and age a really obvious example is like 
the first week of stream, you know, you get a re- I get a report from how much my music's been streamed every week from my label or whoever it might be, my manager. And so you, you're really proud of the music and you want to just hold on to that feeling. But then a few days later, you'll be sent a sort of streaming update with how it's performing and what the stats are and what the data is. And just a simple thing like that, that maybe we didn't have access to a few decades ago, now is a big part of the kind of narrative that uh, I guess gets given to the artist and yeah. all the, all the, you know and uh that's just one one thing of how i sometimes struggle with 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 kind of holding on to the value of what i do because yeah. you can be proud of what you do and confident in your ability but then something like that can really shake you because yeah. people you go oh people don't like it. people think it's rubbish and no one's listening to it and what did i bother writing that song for you know you can definitely go down those silly avenues in your head um but in terms of drive and i think they're, they're kind of very closely linked you know my drive and confidence i think come hand in hand it's like when you're feeling confident you have that yeah. kind of ability to drive yourself and motivate yourself and truthfully I, I sometimes especially back in when i look back on the early days of me being in london and just being constantly just constantly putting myself out there making music i i sort of i think i've got less confident in a, in a way because as you go through life and i'm sure it's the case in lots of areas you you start to learn more about what you're doing and how you're doing it and so the more you learn the more you realize what you don't know yeah. whereas when you're young and you're slightly ignorant in a, in a really beautiful way you just throw yourself out there because you go yeah I'm, i can play guitar and i can write a song i'm just going to do it and i'm going to speak to that person yeah. and you just you just ask the world for things that you want to you, you know and I, I felt sort of a bit sort of hockey really want to look back and i go god i, I wouldn't have had the confidence to do that now yeah but back then you, d- you don't really know what the whole thing is so you just you just ignorance is bliss and it just you don't really know how what you're entering into you don't know how big the industry is you don't know how long it might take so all of that stuff isn't factored in whereas yeah. now you you i compute decisions in a different way because i go god that that's going to take so much energy and that's yeah. gonna that might be really hard emotionally and so there's all these things that kind of factor into things now that back in the day I weren't even on my radar so I think I was in a, in a in a strange way I was more driven or more confident back then because of because of that and holding on to that now that drive now I think I'm I just I just really love I, I, it kind of changes because I love learning about uh how to record music and how how to push myself in that way so I think my drive has slightly changed and I think I'm I'm just keen to keep improving self improving and, yeah. and working in a way that I feel like I'm I'm, I'm growing so that's that's kind of my main drive but it's hard because uh, you know I, I've, I've struggled with my mental health over the past year or so and, and that that thing comes and goes and, and I get that imposter syndrome some days where especially if I'm not regularly creating it's easy to sort of fall into this slump where you don't feel like an artist you don't feel like a musician and to try and get that uh, momentum going in yourself internally again can be really really difficult and I, I've struggled with that on and off in the past few years and i don't think the pandemic was a massive help with that because you suddenly go from being really busy touring and gigging and writing and recording suddenly the world stops and that part of you is sort of left a little bit in the air and you don't really have access to it in the same way and i've struggled with kind of getting that back and uh that's what's really nice about having an album coming out because it sort of feels like i a lot of the past few years of making that record now feel a bit more real yeah and i can hold on to that and go yeah i'm really proud of the music and i did achieve something and yeah. i am i am a musician and all of that so 
it's complicated, but it's for me, it's um, it, it, I think drive for me has always come from routine. Yeah. And, and, and if you can set good habits, uh, it doesn't, it, things, things just take care of themselves. I, I think it's like when yeah. I'm most in my groove is often when I'm doing something routinely and habitually and I'm turning up to it every day and, and I'm get, getting strength and, 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 uh, I guess momentum from from doing it, and you often. find that that complements like your your well being by doing it like that. Totally, because if yeah. I go, if I if once I'm in it, even if I'm just even if I write five bad songs in a week, if I'm going to do that every day, it's just even just cycling to the studio, going to the studio, getting out of the house, like all of those things. It sounds so simple, but the knock on impact for me of those the benefits of just going to the studio or going on tour. Sometimes when I'm on tour. I have a much healthier existence than when I'm not on tour because with tour, you have to get up at the same time pretty much every day. I'm drinking lots of water. I'm around people. I've got a purpose for the day. I've got, um, you know, I've got a routine, even though it's one that changes location every day. I've got this sort of sense of structure and security. Yeah. And it's funny that when I come back from tour, and, and it's funny, I, I, I was hearing Pete Crouch talk about this because he talks about going from being a professional footballer to being... Uh, to not having that in his life and a lot of footballers have a similar and it's very different obviously but when I come back from tour that structure that that sort of um, kind of pattern of, 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 of life changes it's gone from being really rigid really um, sort of repetitive and really safe to then going back to being on your own you get used to being around loads of people on tour you're seeing everyone every day you're in front of a crowd every day you've got all this energy around you and then you come back from tour and the first day you wake up after being away for months you're on your own in your own bed and you're like, oh, and you go, and I have it sometimes, I, go, oh, I, should go, I guess I should cook breakfast or go and, you know, get back into this like life, that routine of life again. Yeah. And those simple things like getting up, making a bed, having a shower, knowing you can go outside and get, go and see someone, those things after being in, for me, after being the structure and routine of something like a tour or an album recording process, something that gives you real purpose uh, sometimes if you don't give yourself that when you when those events aren't happening in your life, I, I definitely struggle and my mental health definitely sort of slumps yeah. effectively. So yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, it's a tricky one. I don't think imposter syndrome is such a bad thing either. I think like if you don't suffer from imposter syndrome, then maybe you're just you know a little bit too narcissistic i think <laughs> imposter syndrome's a a, a a natural thing to feel I mean, <coughs> I, 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 i've been lucky to chat to the foo fighters on on this podcast and they talk mm. openly about imposter syndrome and you just think how do they have imposter syndrome who are they going oh my god look who's over there like i'm not as good as anything you're the biggest band in the world like it makes no sense but it's totally normal you're constantly you know going to be questioning you know your, your work, your, you know, your, the, the, the way you approach things. It's, I think that's, yeah, I don't think imposter syndrome's a dirty word. I think it's it's totally natural to, to – because to, yeah. you want to evolve as a person and grow as a person, don't you? I think – do you know what I'm saying? No, I, do, I totally – I do. I do. I think it's, I think it's quite, probably quite healthy to have a little bit of it because, as you say, you, you don't get too big for your boots. Yeah, you, absolutely. You always want to learn and you want to, you know, there's this sense of like that being self-aware yeah. in that respect is good. I think there's a healthy amount of it that's, that's, that's good. Um, but I, I think that there's a danger of it um, sort of stopping you from actually just, yeah. some, sometimes it's just living, living openly, living confidently yeah. and just 
putting yourself out there in a way that feels like you're expressing yourself. And I think yeah. a lot of people sometimes hold on to themselves because they don't want to come across as arrogant or they don't think that they're that they're worthy of being in a room or in yeah. in, in a collaborative process. And I and I think there's moments when I've realized that I'm not going for things in life because I'm going, oh no, I'm I'm not good enough at that. I'll, I'll probably end up not doing a very good job there or I just don't want to do that or I won't say that on social media because people might think this of me and I don't, you know. So that whole imposter syndrome can become too, go too far in yeah. the wrong direction and I think that's when it becomes, for me, it becomes an issue because I realised I'm just sort of sort of self-sabotaging. Really. Yeah. Um, so it's a dangerous line to, to tread. Absolutely. <laughs> it's all about balance. Yeah. Um, let's take you home. Tell me uh, for track six a favourite song from an artist from your home county, please. I mean, you're spoiled, Oxford. I'm spoiled. Yeah. I mean, I was. I could have done Radiohead. Could have done. Who else was it? Ride. Ride. Could have done. Um, I think Glass Animals. Foles. Foles, um, of course. Yeah, Foles. I was thinking Hummer by Foles oh, was, was up there. Tune. That's a great tune. Um, I actually met. Is it Yanis? Yeah. In, Yanis. And when I was about 17, I remember bumping into him at the Purple Turtle or the Cellar or one of those downstairs bars in, in Oxford. And I went up to him and I was like, hey, man, I'm a musician. I really like your music. And he just turned turned around again, didn't say anything. No! <laughs> I just said, I'd ne never meet your heroes. But then weirdly, I actually met him again outside a studio in Brixton and he was like the loveliest guy ever. And I didn't yeah. obviously tell him about the first time I met him because he wouldn't remember and it would probably be really awkward. But yeah, it's funny because um, the first time I met him, I was I was just, you know, really nervous teenager going up to my hero saying, oh, I really like your band. And he just blanked me, bless him. <laughs> We've all changed. We've all changed. But yeah, sadly, that's that's probably why I didn't choose Hummer by Foles. But um, I've, I've ended up going for an absolute classic. It's Supergrass, all right. Yeah. And talk about intros. I mean, it's, it's a sim simple one, but as soon as that song comes on, you know it's that song. Yeah. And uh, it's just got an amazing feeling. And that could have soundtracked my, my school years as well, to be honest. But they're a really good band. I should Coco, that album. Oh, just mate and like they, and they were six, they were 16 or something when they when they made that album when i first saw them i saw them i went to this <laughs> i went to this gig in london and they were the it was like it was i think it was like gary crowley presents it was like this for this tv show and they used to you you'd pay about 8 quid and you'd see like three like really big indie bands on one bill and they were opening and they were called the jennifers uh and it was i don't know if it was all three of them it was definitely gaz and danny uh, and I've still got a picture of Gaz like in this like jumper and jeans and his guitar, and he looks about four, and he's just like standing, looked effortlessly cool, obviously, but uh, yeah. but looks so young. And then obviously when Ashikoko come out, they were still so young. But that that energy of being that young comes across in all right and caught by the fuzz. They just they just yeah, thunder yeah, yeah, along yeah. with all the energy of youth, don't they? They do, and also like those songs, they they sort of. They 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 express something like they paint a picture of youth, and yeah. when you're a kid and you're listening to that, you kind of you just want your teenage years to yeah. be like theirs, and you think all these stories they're telling in this kind of inventive and creative way. It was kind of that's why I, I when I listened to bands like Arctic Monkeys and that first record, it was kind of the same thing. Like they're they're making this kind of garage band music, yeah, um, really raucous. But then the lyrics, like both both Gareth Coombs and and and, and Alex Turner, their lyrical kind of potency to be able to say something colloquial and, and I don't know, creative, but about queuing up to get into a 
club or getting Let, caught lads with police. tracky bottoms tucked into socks eating people with pool cues it's like yeah, it's yeah, crazy yeah. isn't it but it's so effective it's, it's social commentary I guess it's social commentary and from a 16 year old who's got this poetry and it's that's what's kind of mad they don't those kind of people don't come around very often yeah and when when they do it's just it just it blows my mind so that to, to know that they they made those albums in their teens yeah beyond me but yeah and i think i think they're underrated supergrass as well i saw i saw the the the, some tv stuff about them at at glastonbury and you just forget like how many incredible records they released like it was you know obviously all the singles from much coco but then they're playing like pumping on the stereo moving late in the day oh yeah oh my god they've just got hit after hit after hit richard the third sun it's the sky it's like oh my god this band are just absolutely every track they played lenny it was like just banger after banger man size rooster it was just all of these singles they're just absolute killers they're just a massively i think because they come out around brit pop and you had blur suede pulp oasis it felt like they kind of just didn't get... No, they didn't, did they? They were just a little underneath them in regards to the exposure they got, which is criminal because you look back at their best of and it's absolutely remarkable. It is. They are a very prolific band. And I, I think maybe I didn't real, as you say, they didn't quite hit the big time in the same way that Oasis and Blur and those bands did. And I think because they were from Oxford and I heard about them yeah. as when I was a kid, like that, they, they, were bigger, they were as big as those bands to me. Yeah. So it was kind of it, but the, yeah, the, I, you forget they have f- ferocious musicians as well. Yeah. Records, the way that those records sound are incredible, and they've got—I think they've got a really good balance of that kind of raucous energy as well as this kind of musicality and inventiveness and yeah. amazing production. Just like take it to another level, I think as a band. Absolutely, absolutely, and I believe the producers and Oxford boys. What was it, Ian Davenport that that produced oh, this stuff? I think it was. I, I think he's an Oxford boy as well. Um, mm. Right, it's your last track, and this is when you get to uh, to be an influencer. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, it's first, first time. <laughs> uh, I want you to uh, tell me a track that you think the listeners may not know that you would like them to hear. So we did a tour in 2018 around Europe, and we had a new sound engineer who was doing the mixing, a guy called Andy Bush. And his he every time he'd get to a venue, he'd put on one song, to sort of learn what the room sounded like through the speakers in the in the venue. And he used to put this song on. And the first time he put it on, we were sort of setting up mic stands and, you know, getting ready. And so we didn't really think much about it. And then by two or three gigs in, we found the band that was touring with me started to sort of like, our ears just sort of pricked up to this song. We, before we knew it, we just sort of stood in the front where the crowd would be listening to this song and go, wow, this is a good song, isn't it? Yeah. It's a really, and something about it. And I, do you know what's interesting is it wasn't, maybe it would have been if I'd had it in my headphones, but it wasn't like a first, you know, some songs where you put it on and immediately yeah. you're like, oh, wow, what's this? Who's this by? It wasn't, it was one of those three or four listen album songs in my head. It was kind of like a slow burner. And then when it, when it sort of sunk into me, I was just, I was, it was just magical. And basically we'd all set up and then end up listening to this song in the, on the PA in each venue for the rest of the tour. And then from that point on, I just fell in love with it. And I just sort of listened, I probably listened to it weekly and just put it on because I just love this song. It's called uh, The Downtown, Light, Downtown Lights by the Blue Nile. Yeah. And it, they're an amazing band. This, this kind of like seminal album that they, they recorded called Hats is one of my favorites. And the reason I love this song is because 
it is just such a pure expression of something that this person's feeling because it yeah. does i mean talk about like taking your time this song takes its time and it doesn't and it's got an amazing sonic palette and the, the harmonies considered and the way he the, the performs his vocal it's one of those songs that i think in this day and age would be overlooked because yeah. it's six minutes 30 or whatever and it doesn't it's, it takes its time and it really breathes and it grows and it's got this amazing outro where he starts to open up as a singer and the guitar starts to find another level and it's just so nuanced and so well well it's just it's just beautiful and the band's incredible and, and basically i think if you can give this three or four listens to learn it and to start to hear the depths of it i would say you will find a song that you love for life because it's, it's for me it's one of those songs that every time i listen to it i, I hear something new in it and I just love going back to it. And there, there aren't enough songs in my life like it. And I'm sure it's my fault for not finding them as, as, as often as I would, would like to. But this song is just so good. And it's um, the 1975 actually cite them as a, as a, as a sort of uh, a, a, that album hat as a yeah. sort of um, inspiration. And they've stolen, they've stolen lots of like sonic kind of identity from them but it's they're just they're, i think back in the 80s and early 90s they were like the musician or the band's band like anyone making music at the time knew of the downtown lights yeah. and the blue Nile, the band um and so they were quite sort of they were just doing something really original with new synths and yeah. production techniques and you just hear in that whole album that they're doing something Kind of special so yeah the downtown lights is my influence at the moment wonderful and and I, you, you touched on something <laughs> earlier when you said about um the libertines how when like your folks were like oh is that pete ducky and you're like hang on a minute that, that's my thing it feels to me that and you said it was like the musicians band like the blue nile but the, it's an incredible record incredible band and and whenever people talk about you know the greatest bands to come out of Scotland, they never get a mention, and and it does feel like they're just that band that's everybody's little secret that it's just like yeah. you heard the Blue Nile, no, and then you hear it and you're like, holy shit, this is incredible, and like and I love yeah. that, I love that yeah. little bit of mystery about them that you know they've not sold out they've not sort of like hit the massive big time but they've just got this body of work that he's loved by everybody that hears it and i think like yeah it's a great show no one's ever mentioned the blue nile on this podcast so yeah props oh, to you reese because it's a great brilliant. record yeah it really is isn't it i like that and actually everyone every time i speak everyone everyone i give that song to that hasn't heard it yeah. does exactly the same thing it's like you hear them a few months later being like there's a song called blue nile oh sorry the down to Land. and it just becomes as i say everyone's best kept yeah. secret so um yeah, let's not let's not tell too many people. About All right. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, well, yeah. look, we've we, we've come to the end of the podcast, but before we um, wrap things up, um, what's happening? What's coming up? Oh, album's out, and I'm touring it, and then I guess I guess I start writing another one, which is exciting. But yeah, but before before thinking about that, I'm going to really enjoy. I didn't get to tour my first record, so to be able to tour a body of work that I'm really proud of and. You know, excited to feel in a sort of live sense is going to be really rewarding. So, um, looking forward to the tour, and then um, we'll see what happens after that. But that, I guess that's my focus for the next month or so: is doing a guitar on tour. And if people want to find out where they can see you and uh, where's the best place to keep up to speed with all things Reese Lewis, it'll be the social media 
world. Reese Lewis Music, just the handle of most things. And then um, reeselewisofficial.com is my website. So uh, if you f- feel like buying a ticket or um, getting some merch or a record, that's where to find it. Wonderful. And if it's all right with you, when this comes out, we'll, we'll tag you on the on the social. So if people haven't found you already, Absolutely. they can do it that way. That'd be great, yeah. Reese, I've had an absolute blast, mate. Thanks for being gentle with me on my first one of uh, 2023. It's it's been an absolute delight and you chose some wonderful records. Thank you very much. Good luck with the record. Thanks so much. And uh, and best of luck for the tour, mate. Cheers. Thank you. I'm going to press stop. Don't go anywhere. There you go, Reese Lewis. What an absolutely lovely young man. Um, Oh... It was good. It was good to get back in the, the, the recording booth and, and, and get chatting. I recorded this one in my little office. Um, so sometimes it may seem a little little bit more echoey. Um, it's, a, it's quite a big, a big sort of high ceiling uh, in this, this space. So it, it might be a little bit more um, echoey than uh, when I record in the shed. Um, but yeah, uh, it was great to have him as my first guest of uh, my first recording of this year. Um, hope you've been enjoying the recent content as well. Um, the, the, the Susie Quattro uh, episodes had a lot of love, um, as did. Uh, oh gosh, I'm trying to think what else I've put out recently that's uh, that's had a lot of love uh, come back here. Oh, there's hundreds, hundreds and hundreds. Go and have a good old rummage uh, in the back catalogue. Give us a subscribe. Um, go follow. Uh, Reese on the socials, uh, and if you haven't heard his music, uh, the song picks uh, are going to be on his playlist on Spotify, the accompanying um, Spotify playlist that I do, and obviously Reese's music is on there as well. So go check him out; uh, he's he's wonderful. I'll be back next time. In the meantime, anything you want to know about merch, Patreon, you know where you can watch the videos and everything else, I've got a website: Off the Beat and Track Podcast. Have a lovely time. See you next time. Much love. Bye-bye.